Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive home and auto policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. I never realized you could sue someone for falling out of love with you. That's new. Hello and welcome to Still Watching, a television podcast from Vanity Fair. I'm Richard Lawson. I'm Chris Murphy. And I'm Hilary Busis. We are here to talk about the third episode of season six of the Netflix series, The Crown. Uh, the episode is titled Dima We. Was that a good pronunciation? Trabian. Better than mine. <laughs> I have a question I want to ask you, to which I hope you will indeed tell me yes. No, 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 no. And later, our friend and Hollywood correspondent, Julie Miller, will be stopping by to talk about the engagement rumors between Diana and Dodie and all the controversy and the ring and who Diana's true love was. Hey, but first, a quick recap. Dodie is under pressure to propose to Princess Diana. He whisks her away to Paris despite her wishes to just go home and be with her children. We can use the jet. But if you don't mind, we'll stop in Paris first. What? Why? There's something I have to do. It's just one night. The media frenzy reaches a fever pitch as Diana assures the boys that she has no intention to remarry. Are you going to marry Dodie? No. Why? All the newspapers are saying you are. Well, you know better than to believe the papers. I'm emphatically not going to marry Dodie. Dodie pops the question anyway, and it goes down like a lead balloon. Stop, I can't bear it. It's this madness. Please get up. Which leads to that late-night car chase we all knew was coming. Trevor, we've decided to go back to my apartment. I'd advise against that, sir. It, Just do sir, as it's I say. Mad out Just do as I say, please. Uh, okay, so we knew this episode was coming. The sad thing happens. 
But we can talk about what happens before the sad thing, which is more sad stuff. <laughs> a lot of sad stuff. Particularly, and also maybe some bad stuff. I don't know. What do we feel about, we talked a little bit about it last episode, but like this framing of Mohammed Al-Fayed as this really like hectoring mastermind behind all this. I know that some of that does match the historical record, but like, how do you think the show is handling it? Is it is it like good or responsible? In a word, no. <laughs> it feels irresponsible, and it feels that they've, while they are critical of the crown, they're never going to go fully against the crown. And while, you know, there's so much more of a history of Diana having issues with the queen and Charles and the royal family, and that being the true villain in her life, it's like in the last three weeks they found a new scapegoat in Muhammad to sort of pin all of the tragedy of Diana's death on. And it bugged me a lot more in this episode than it did in episode two and one. I didn't even sort of see it coming. But yeah, I mean, he could have been that intense and that invested in uh, Dodie and Diana getting engaged. But the framing of him is like, well, it's all Dodie's fault. Feels so unfair given Diana's history with the royal family and how she even got to that point. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I will say, though, that the Diana and Dodie relationship is weird and wild and hard to understand unless there is some kind of, at least in the show's portrayal of it, it's, it's hard to understand unless there is some sort of external force that is pushing the two of yeah. them. Because why on earth would these two people be in such a hurry? You know, why would they be traveling together so frequently? Why would they be, like, why would their relationship have gotten so intense so quickly over the course of a month if not for some kind of force pushing them together? And so I can understand, like, from a dramatic standpoint why I feel like there just has to be an explanation because otherwise, like, what is she doing here? Why is she going to Monte Carlo with this guy that she just met? Like, Yeah. No, that's the thing is I think you're right. And I think for the purposes of narrative television, we do need to have some sort of, like, instigating factor. And they're mm-hmm. like, I guess it's Muhammad because— mm-hmm. And look, and there has to be something keeping the pressure on because right, otherwise yeah. she would just be like, okay, bye. I'm going to yeah. go back to my kids now. Right, mm-hmm. exactly. And I, I mean, I believe that—and I think the episode does a good job of showing that there was genuine attraction there. But from everything I've read, the sort of general consensus from people who pl- at least claim to have known Diana are like, they were never going to be a long-term thing. Yeah. And so that's why the proposal, she's like, oh, God, no. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, I do think, obviously, Muhammad was very invested in his— stature in the UK and the citizenship question and yes his son becoming married to someone who is the mother of a future king Mm -hmm. that does help him and so I I get all those mechanics I think for me kind of what you were saying Chris about like blaming the death on him or at least that's kind of one way to read this episode certainly is like Yes, but it could have been paparazzi anywhere. Anyway, yeah. Yes, anywhere. yes yeah. the circumstances were that this was in Paris and Dodie was there and it was he's the reason that Diana was in Paris that night. But like but she was swarmed regardless exactly. of where she was. Everywhere right. she was. Right. We felt we felt that this yeah. episode. Mm-hmm. But I, I will say not and not to harp on it too, but even like from the beginning, the therapist framing of like He really is, he's very sweet. But a little lost too. And caught up in an unhealthy dynamic with his father. Definitely, definitely. Are these really people you should be close to? People you should even know? The risk is... One normalises the abnormal and becomes accustomed to living in the madness. And that's when things really go wrong. I know. 
should you even be around these men? Why are you even hanging right. out with these these sketchy? But I feel guys? like the purpose of that scene is to should I mean not like to not to give out blame I guess but to show from her perspective why she's in this in the first place and like I I find it easy to believe that like maybe she was kind of addicted to the drama oh, like yeah. when you've been in it for that long for half of your life or however long it's been since she started getting involved with the royal family like she is like she is performing this like public role she's doing it intentionally and some of it is because I think she thinks it's fun and because she just doesn't know how to stop I I mean that's the show's argument at least to be fair I do think the therapist was like right about like okay you're moving really fast maybe you need to come home maybe you don't need to be on this journey but there was always a little bit of this undercurrent of like these men are not to be trusted Mm -hmm. and that I do associate with them being Egyptian and brown. And I I feel Mm -hmm. like it's hard to not read that as part of why they were unfitting Mm -hmm. to be in... Unsuited. Unsuited is a better word. To be in uh, Diana's orbit. Yeah, well, and there's also, I mean, would would it help, do you think, if the script were, like, a little... uh, had less of a heavy hand if it weren't, like, Muhammad straight out saying, if you marry her, I will finally love you. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. that would help. And also if there weren't, like... (laughs) Oh, sorry, that was my motivation. I was... The the actual line is something else. (laughs) It's yeah. so funny. Yeah. There is no subtext. Yeah, just right. sort of it's right. just text. And then having the photo of him in, or the the painting of him, and maybe this existed of him as a literal pharaoh. Mm-hmm. Did you catch that? Oh, in his in his villa. In or his whatever. villa yeah, yeah. that they that had to stop like it. Something that might he have come have from had. real. I, I don't think you make. I don't think you insert that. Portrait. Unless he actually had that portrait. Yeah. Right. But I, yeah, I, it was very heavy handed and very much. Let's just not have subtext and say the subtext as text. Mm-hmm. But. I did find myself feeling like, ah, oh, yeah, Muhammad, he's cringe, he's TMI, he's way too involved, he's ruining everything. Mm-hmm. But the framing of it did sort of bug me. And I, But I did appreciate that we finally saw that Diana was just like, she's just not that into you, Dodie. Like, it's just mm-hmm. that sort of, that's the story yeah. of it. I yeah. think that the proposal scene was good. Oh, it was, I thought it was great. I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, because it's not... <sighs> It's not like so pathetic on his mm-hmm. part. It is. A, it's embarrassing. Oh, yeah. 100%. For sure. When he starts He's... playing the Julio Iglesias and she's <laughs> oh, just God. like. <laughs> she's like, okay. <laughs> and she says something like, what's happening right now? Like, it's, yeah. Um, but it also is like, you know, and then she later is like, I know that you weren't really talking to your dad. She gets mm-hmm. where he's coming from yeah. in terms of matters of fam- familial pressure and all that. And so I, li- I think it was a nicely balanced scene. And the show is also, you know, sparing us some of the reported details about Dodie in terms of like he was apparently like big into cocaine or at mm. least that's been reported and like was more of a kind of party boy, playboy type than this show is making it out. Yes. Like yeah, he he's did pretty dump- noble on the right, show. Despite he's, dumping. He's dumping, leaving <laughs> Kelly Fisher on that small boat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But no, I think that in the con, and I think that's some, the, the way you kind of have always had to assess the crown. Yes, it, it does match or does not match certain actual history and actual people. But in the in the confines of it being a drama series on television, I think the relationship is really nicely teased out. And you get the impression that the, you know, which makes it all the more tragic that they probably might have been like good friends mm-hmm. and like, you know, called on the phone every couple of months. And yeah, like that they can up. understand each other. Exactly. They have yeah. similar, they yeah. have similar backstories. They have yeah. similar like difficulties. Yeah. It was so sort of devastating at the end. As you said, Hillary, the, the the engagement scene was so wonderful. And then it felt like while they were waiting to get into their car, that they were 
about to embark on the next chapter of their lives, that they had yeah. learned something and yeah. they had both figured something out and Dodie was going to take on his father and Diana was going to spend more time with her kids and they had resolved to sort of change their lives in that moment. And that was the tragedy uh, of the last scene. That mm-hmm. really got me. And uh, that all has to be made up, so we can't really critique yes. it. Yeah. We have no idea what was said. No and this is a nice imagining. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it gives them a little bit of peace before, right. you know. I mean, it, it lays it on pretty thick in her final phone call with the boys when she mm. says, you know, like, mommy's just going to make some changes in her <laughs> life. Some changes. It's like, I don't know. I, I feel like that final conversation probably didn't have quite as much closure. And she was, she was two weeks away from retirement, full <laughs> pension. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Got two kids in college, you know. I will say something that I, I did really appreciate about this episode and got to hand it to Elizabeth Debicki's performance is Diana's increasing frustration with all of the various obstacles that got mm. in her way from getting to what would have maybe saved her life if she had just gone home mm-hmm. to England yeah. like she wanted to, but no, she had to go to Paris, and she didn't really want to go to Paris. And then went, like, first they go to Monte Carlo, and she doesn't really want to go to Monte Carlo. Mm-hmm. And then, then she wants to talk to her boys, and she misses the boys' phone call, and she just, yeah. it keeps growing and growing. The irritation to her sort of mini breakdown at the dinner table was so well calibrated, mm-hmm. and I felt that frustration the entire time. And then to have, uh, to know that this was the last day of her life was just like, oh, absolutely, like, soared through the stomach. Yeah, yeah. Really. really there was tough. a point watching this episode where I, where it's one of the many scenes where, like, there's flashes and people screaming, Diana, Diana, Diana. And I was like, and I said out loud in my apartment, ugh, and turned it down. <laughs> and there was, like, so one tiny little <laughs> minuscule sliver of what she actually lived. And I think you're right that the build in this episode, going to that, uh, all the way to that dinner scene, you're, I mean, your heart really does break for her mm-hmm. because that seems miserable, even yeah. though she can, like, okay, I'll do Monte Carlo and get ice cream or whatever, you know, like, she can try to act like it and maybe it is fun sometimes but like missing her children mm-hmm. and being like wait why am I in Paris with like you know that feeling when you're like on a second or third date or even further where all of a sudden you get the ick and yes, you're like wait ick. what am I doing am I here, doing here? with yeah. this person and I think that it, it's there is a kind final scene between them, but I'm glad that the show also is like, there wasn't, it wasn't like a total love connection here, mm-hmm. you know. I, she literally, I counted, she said no nine times <laughs> after he right. proposed. Oh, wow. And the the way that they wrote it, at least in the um, subtitles, was six no's, period, three no's. So <laughs> no, 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 right. no, 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 no. Right. Right. <laughs> so is, what you're saying is there's right. a chance. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, yeah, the question of Diana's agency, like, does kind of come up a lot in these last few episodes. And yeah, I think in this you get, I don't know, she is she is certainly more of a tragic heroine there at the end where it does sort of seem like there are, you know, things beyond her control that are just kind of pushing her toward, toward that car in that tunnel or something. It's, yeah. It feels like something that she can't, you know, she couldn't escape it if she tried. Yeah, there is an inevitability there that I've kind of tried to articulate over the years of like, of course she died young. What do you think she was going to live to her 80s? Like, mm-hmm. that, there was just something about her. I mean, that's only hindsight, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like, 
it, she's a comet streaking across the sky, and then it's gone, and that's Would how, you say that she's a candle in the wind, Richard? Uh, I don't know what you're referring to. Um, <laughs> I actually barely know what you're referring to. I know that's a song. Is that about young, her? Chris. That's an Elton John song that was written about her? Am I, is, uh, well, it was Marilyn Monroe originally, and, and then, then he updated it. And he updated it. Yeah. Okay. And they released a commemorative Beanie Baby. and um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which I think we've already talked about maybe <laughs> yeah. twice. <laughs> it's, the Beanie Baby is not like shaped like Diana. Like it's not, it doesn't look it, like her. It looks like a Beanie Baby. It's, it's, it's yeah. a bear. It's, it's a, a bear. bear. It's a tie-dye That bear, has like a little I believe. blonde. I believe so. Yeah. Does it have the little blonde swoopy hair? It doesn't have hair. It's a bear, Chris. Oh, it's just a bear. <laughs> you could, I always thought it looked like You could buy a her. wig accessory. <laughs> Do you want me to find the Diana Beanie Baby? <laughs> Actually, right? I would love to see <laughs> it. I'll show her to you. Yeah. I would love to see it. I will say while we're playing that up, this episode did sort of play out like a horror film in that we saw all of the chances that she had to escape right? in terms of not mm-hmm. going with right. Dodie. You not, do sort of want to yell at the screen. Like, Don't go! Yeah. And then at the end, speaking of clunky writing, when the the drunk driver, that man, he says, uh, no one will see us leave. Trust mm-hmm. me. It's like, no, they're going to see, yeah. they're going to see you leave. It's Princess Diana. They're going to see you leave. They're going to follow you. Right. right. Yeah, their plan is not very well thought out. Okay, I uh, I apologize. I fact-checked myself. The Beanie Baby is, in fact, just purple, I guess, you know, royal, yeah. um, and has a, a little white flower. It's, and someone it's is literally trying, just a bear. Someone is trying bear. to sell it on eBay right now for $35,000. Oh, my God. I thought it had a little Diana outfit, like a little <laughs> Diana like haircut. That would be ghoulish. <laughs> that would be, I yeah, mean, this on. is that bad enough. But, it's yeah. strange enough that this exists. Yeah, yeah. I'm blown away. And I yeah, I, I mean, I guess maybe we'll talk about more. We'll talk about this more in episode four. But just like, I don't know if if you as the youngest person in this room really understand what like a giant deal it was when she died. I only in VH1 like retrospect right, yeah, we'll, we'll television say shows. And and and, beca- and and in that big deal is the sort of I I mean this is the wrong word because it sounds like a good thing but the sort of mystique or mystery of these final days mm-hmm. and hours. And you know and so I think that like this show clearly they couldn't demure about that. They they sure they're not going to show us bodies in a car mm-hmm. and I appreciate that but like we kind of did because it's dramatic television need to see each excruciating minute of this dinner and then the proposal and you know and and because like there there's been so much speculation about it like as we see in this episode he mutes the phone or hangs up or whatever mm-hmm. and the last thing Mohammed heard was I did it or whatever like he you says know, like an agreement has been reached. Or an agreement yeah, has, has been, been reached. reached that's right and so like that will spin him off in directions that we'll see on this show because like I don't know if the show's going to go into it, but, like, Mohammed became a big, like, kind of conspiracy theorist about it. And really? it was like, they ki- the Buckingham Palace killed my son. Wow. Yeah, he thought, he, like, really was out in public saying, like, they did this. And so, I don't know, I'm just kind of curious to see. And maybe that's where the empathy will be extended to Mohammed, because I think this episode is pretty, it's blaming a lot of cosmic bad luck on him. Yeah. And I, and it's like, okay, if you want to blame someone, mm-hmm. let's have 20 minutes about the drunk driver. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like Instead of you one would shot. think that maybe that would be more than a, a footnote, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah like that's the, a pretty big deal. The car maybe doesn't crash if And his blood alcohol content was like way high. Like he was pretty drunk. Okay, they yeah. only showed like three glasses. All of which are empty, but I mean, he was right. clearly drunk. But it was really yeah. just like a passing. It was shot. just it's it's like yeah, it's a passing moment. Um, and you know, none of them were wearing seatbelts. Famously, yeah. also, like there yeah. are a lot of things that went wrong at the same time. They were in a tunnel that right. there wasn't you know any space for the car. Yeah, so mm-hmm. it is it is more complicated than you know, Muhammad pushed things too hard. Yeah, made Dodie. And then, but Dodie yeah. had to of his own volition. He was daddy's boy, and he mm-hmm. sort of kept. 
Muhammad, the sphere of him putting her on the phone with him when she's like, I don't want to talk to your dad. I was I like, <laughs> Even though they're kind of friends or yeah. they have been, but like in this context, it's super weird. And, so weird. And Muhammad is being very overbearing and like the visit to this palace that he bought and sort of restored mm-hmm. and it was supposed to be what, like they covered this last season, but sort of like almost like a gift to the royal family. Mm-hmm. They don't need it. And, they don't and, care. No, they don't care. And no, they was, hate, they hate those guys. They, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like, he thought that was going to mean that they all of a sudden like loved him and he was in their close confidence and it did not work. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. this was his last ditch effort. That's all fine to cover. I just think yeah. that like, I guess, you know. I don't know that the point of it though, like that he is a Royals obsessive yeah. and he may, found a way to get his son to, you know, be in Diana's inner circle and, you know, to be in the car with her when she Like that feels like something that if a, a writer made it up, you would be like, this is a little much. Totally, mm-hmm. yeah. It's, it's yeah. crazy that that, side of it is true. Yeah. I mean, I was doing like, you know, bare bones, a little bit more than Wikipedia, but less mm-hmm. than like reading a book. Um, <laughs> I like was doing some research and it's like, yeah, like there's, it's well documented, including in the pages of Vanity Fair that like this really, he really, if anything, in some ways, he was more obsessed with the Royals than this show shows. Like, Whoa. like it was a real thing for him and he had kind of a shadowy past, but like he lied about his upbringing and all that stuff. And so he's a fascinating character and really well played on this. I just sometimes get a little touchy with the Peter Morgan thing toward, you know, race is a big part of the royal story forever. I mean, colonialism and all that. And this show, for season after season, has been very, like, hands-off about that. Mm -hmm. And now here, they're making this guy this sort of, like, Puppet master villain, and it's well, like, yeah, oh. you can't you can't believe that like Prince Philip never said. Yeah, <laughs> he famously was like horribly, yeah, horribly racist, racist and made horrible man. jokes all the two people's faces mm. about their race. Like he was a bad guy. And yeah. the show is definitely interested in the in you know explaining why the monarchy is important and right. not showing a balanced uh, view of the institution. It's not you know showing both sides. And if it were, then maybe it would be less invested in making Muhammad the villain and more you know, give us kind of a more holistic view of like, I don't know, I kind of find it hard to believe that post-divorce Charles was just like totally fine with Diana and, and like, you know, he just, yeah. he wanted he wanted uh, Camilla to have attention, but like really he just wanted Diana to be happy. And just, yeah. Yeah. That yeah. doesn't strike me It brings me as, slightly yeah. false. Yeah. I guess there, I'm glad you brought up Charles because this episode does break for a moment to go to them. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, 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 back back to Diana. <laughs> like, I don't care. She's the way we all felt right, in exactly. the 90s. But now <laughs> that she's gone, I'm curious what you guys think. Just in the confines of the show, again, what does the show lose without Diana, without Elizabeth Debicki? Like, do you think that there's more interesting stuff to come? Or is this maybe the point the show should have ended almost? I think, and I feel that they took the note that Diana is the most interesting thing about The Crown. And without her, we sort of Which need, they hate, which, which they I love. Hate, yeah. I love that they hate it. They hate it, but it's true. That's why we're tuning in. And... We're, we want to see the aftermath. I'm sure we'll see the aftermath. But then I don't want to just sit with the Queen and Charles and Camilla for years. Let's <laughs> Well, go. there's only six more episodes. Yeah. But. True, but then let's get to Will and Harry, right? Mm-hmm. We yeah. need to get to them. Yeah. And we need to sort of fast track and see them as adults, Yeah, I what, would say. what Diana, Diana is just such a... such a neat narrative arc, I think. Mm-hmm. And that it give, she gives the show... A very clear structure. Like she, there is a beginning and a middle and an end to her story. A protagonist I, and a villain. Exactly. In a way. Exactly. It's just it's rich with symbolism. It's wrapped up in gender and class to some extent. Mm-hmm. And there's all kinds of ways in which like the Diana story is interesting. And I think that without 
her. I mean, the queen herself hasn't really been a, the main character on not, the show now. Not since I started watching in no. season four. In seasons and <laughs> seasons, yeah. And which, you know, it's called The Crown. It's not called The Queen. Peter Morgan made a different <laughs> project called <laughs> The Queen. Yeah. But still, like, it does, it, there's there's not going to be as much of a focal point, I think, in those last six episodes, especially if they're kind of jumping between, you know, here's, like, the episode about uh, Kate Middleton, like, in the lingerie show at <laughs> St. Andrews or whatever, which yeah. I do hope is, is I, I was but. talking with our producer, Emily, about, like, the time jump that's coming and, like, what, what are they going to do with, like, are they going to show like Harry's bad boy days? Probably. Mm-hmm. Have you guys ever seen the video of him dancing at a club in Croatia and he is about to fall into the pool and so he tries to like kind of cover it by making it a dive? No, I've never <laughs> seen so that. He's not, really oh, we, sh- you sh- we should watch it after <laughs> this. It's very funny. Um, and All I've right. watched it many times. But like that kind of stuff, I hope they do. But I don't know. I just feel like Morgan is so reverent to these mm-hmm. people. He, well, it you has know, grown more as the series well, went yeah, on. Yeah. yeah. If you think about it too, of course, Muhammad emerges as more of the villain because the crown and things about the crown have been paying his bills since 2006. <laughs> sort of, I will say, in Peter Morgan's defense, I really appreciated uh, his framing this episode of William and the Stag and Diana getting packed yeah. at the same time. Mm-hmm. Which, by of, the way, also is in The Queen. Oh, God, I haven't even seen The Queen. Okay, so, you know, <laughs> the repurpose. Stag, the Stag is a very, is an all-purpose symbol. <laughs> Reuse, recycle. That's <laughs> totally fine. But for someone who had never, who has not yeah. seen the queen and did not know that existed, I was like, oh, Diana is the stag. They're both these vulnerable creatures. Hunters are photographers, are vultures. They're taking their lenses. They're eyeing these people mm-hmm. or these animals, and they're shooting and killing them. And, and that's also, what happened to Diana. But it's also interesting because I don't know if you remember this from the Emma Corrin season, but Diana first kind of wins over the royal family when she spots the stag at Balmoral when you, they give yeah. her the Balmoral. Test. Oh yes, which is oh, she so, passes yeah. the Balmoral test because yeah. she, but so, she doesn't get blooded, does she? No, no. I don't think so. <laughs> but but yeah, so Diana both like is the stag and you know has knows how to use the stag to her own advantage, mm-hmm. which yeah makes her more she's she's more complicated. She's more complicated. And whether or not this show's version of Diana is accurate, I, I've read some things that say suggest that she was kind of like a flippity gibbet shallow person who wasn't interested in intellectual things. Obviously, there are other accounts. Are you of, saying that the Phantom of the Opera is not an intellectual pursuit? The works of Andrew <laughs> Lloyd Webber. That's the only one thing that, that was the high one culture for her. Serious thing that she um, liked. But, like, whatever the reality of it was, I think this portrayal of her is a fascinating TV character and mm-hmm. beautifully played by Debicki and I'll miss, and, and, I'll, and by Emma Corrin. And I'll miss her, I, I think. And, and But that's the point, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we're supposed to feel that loss. Next episode is going to, is called The Aftermath. Like, we'll, t- you know, we'll talk about that. Like, we have to see that, even though Peter Morgan did cover it already. But, like, I don't know. I, I think that the, my imagination is that the next six episodes after, you know, that, that conclude the series are going to be kind of rushed. And it's mm-hmm. going to be like, one episode is this year. It's kind of like an earlier season of The Crown where you would jump sometimes a year yeah. in between episodes. Or well, more, yeah. yeah. And it would just, it would just, they would kind of wrap up like a one character arc, like that guy who was a spy or just like we meet him oh, right. and then he's yeah. a spy and then yeah. he's gone. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it's it's all, the pacing could be strange. But yeah, with Diana, you get the benefit of, yeah, a very clear arc. Mm-hmm. I guess we'll probably have to see Margaret do something before again. she dies. Yeah. yeah, well, there's the Queen Mother, too, who hasn't, I mean, she's still alive. Oh, right. She, she is she still kicking. Yeah. yeah, she hasn't popped back in in a while. That's true. So I guess we'll have to see. Maybe that means that we'll have reduced Harry time mm-hmm. because we'll have to have, you know, the love affair at St. Andrews and, and then the wedding. I think it's going to end on the wedding. That's my prediction. But we can, we'll, mm-hmm. we'll get there soon enough. 
still watching. We'll be back in just a moment. And when we return, we're engagement ring shopping with Vanity Fair's own Julie Miller. Ever wanted to go inside the Met Gala? I'm Cho Minardi, and this week on The Run Through with Vogue, we take you inside the world's most exclusive and glamorous party. We'll talk about the best looks from the red carpet and everything that happened after. Listen to The Run Through with Vogue wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You can earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. So not only was this the big car crash episode, but we also got to see Dodie's unsuccessful engagement attempt. Yes. For more on this, we've reached out to Vanity Fair's Hollywood correspondent, Julie Miller, who is an expert in all things The Crown. Julie's written about the show since its very beginning, all the way back in 2016, where we ever so young. <laughs> uh, and she's here to separate fact from fiction when it comes to engagement rumors and anything else uh, that this episode gets into. So, Julie, before we go into some of the more... Uh, you know, granular details of this episode. Um, just in general, what do you think about this season? I mean, obviously, this is the big one that we've been waiting for probably since the beginning of the series. How is it measuring up for you? I knew, we knew it was going to be gloomy. We knew it was going to cover Diana's death. I think I was still a little bit surprised how how gloomy it is just because they spend those first four episodes really grappling with the events leading up to the event itself and then the time after. And also, I love those sort of tangential storylines that sort of cropped up in previous seasons um, where there would be a great Princess Margaret subplot, almost sort of random royal characters you don't think of sort of factoring into an episode. And I feel like we haven't really had that. We've been centering so much on Diana and the boys and and Charles and Camilla and that, that fabulous birthday party. So Yeah, that was $45,000 birthday party, right? Something like that. Um, do you think that, I mean, you, you've written a lot about the royals. You know a lot about, like, who they really were or I don't, maybe that doesn't go as far back as, you know, the late 90s. But, like, what do you think about this portrayal of, Diana and Dodie's relationship, does it kind of stack up against what you know to be the truth? This gets into the fourth episode a little bit. I was surprised that, speaking about the proposal, there was so much controversy around the ring itself and whether or not Diana and Dodie were engaged, which it seems like they weren't. Um, uh, Mohammed Fayed's spokesperson claimed they were. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. In his version of events, in the jeweler's version of events, um, Diana had picked out this ring with Dodie. And during the inquest, it was found out that Dodie spent seven minutes in the jewelry store in Paris, had planned to give the ring later on. I was interested that Peter Morgan sort of went with Mohammed Fayed's version of events in terms of window shopping, picking out the engagement or the ring together um, because it was such a point of controversy later. And and several people who worked at the Ritz <laughs> said that he had spent seven minutes. He picked out the, the least expensive ring presented to <laughs> him. Uh, I thought that was that was very interesting. One person said he didn't even really look at the ring. Yeah. I mean, in the in the show's version of events, I guess, like, he does kind of, Diana's just like, oh, that's nice kind of offhand, and she mm-hmm. doesn't really, you know— 
actually seem very interested or seem like she cares about the ring at all. Like the show does make it seem like she at least does not believe that they are going to be getting engaged. Yeah, it makes it seem like he reads way too much into her choosing a ring that says Dimois, I don't speak French. (laughs) But, But yeah, she barely looks at the ring and she's like, yeah, that's cute. And then they're whisked off and then he gets fixated on it. Um, But that's closer to Muhammad's uh, version of events than the royal family's version of events. Right, but she she had made comments to friends that she was expecting a ring. She wouldn't have been oh, really? surprised by an engagement because he had already given, uh, Dodie had already given her a watch, a bracelet, so she sort of made an offhand comment to one friend that if, if she were to get a ring, that would go firmly on her fourth finger on her right hand, meaning she would not be engaged, and she said she needed another marriage, like she needed a rash in the face. <laughs> So wow. so it was not, you know, out of the realm of, of her thinking that this would come up. But everyone who knew her afterwards said that they just were not a love match. She was so fast um, on the rebound. She, it was not time for her to be married just yet. Another thing, I, I guess they get into Muhammad sort of pulling the strings behind mm-hmm. the curtain of, of this this marriage. Uh, but they seem like Dodie, they make it seem like Dodie maybe had some true affection for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I think that in this, the show's version, we were talking about it in the sort of recap section of this episode, like it, whatever was the truth in real life, like I like, this feels sweet in a way. I mean, right. like they're not good, a good romantic match maybe ultimately, but like they they understand one another and, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. Right. I, there was a lot of reporting afterwards that said Dodie was this playboy and that he wrote checks that bounced and there's even an amazing story that he dated Tina Sin- Sinatra <laughs> <laughs> earlier in his life and Tina spoke to Vanity Fair after the car crash and Dodie was over at the house and he saw this plaque that was inscribed with some beautiful poem and Dodie borrowed it and he never returned it. So when it was reported that Dodie had presented Diana with this plaque that sounded very similar to the one Tina Sinatra had in her house, she always wondered if if that was the one he had given her. She was very touched. That, oh, wow, yeah, the wow. show definitely presents it as, as though he wrote a poem that, Yeah, that he was like a simp and that he was like a loser for giving it to her. <laughs> That's how it's presented in the show. It rhymes ocean with potion. That was a lie. Right, <laughs> but which is worse, you know, him writing that bad poem or him stealing this plaque <laughs> and then gifting it to Diana? I don't know. That's Both are bad. I mean, it does seem like the stories about real life Dodie do make him seem cooler. Well, right, right. I guess less, slightly less pathetic. Right. I think Peter was trying to kind of give each one a dignified, empathetic storyline. I I just saw that um, one of the speculations about whether or not this was an engagement or not was that it was the cost. It was because it was low cost, right? Like, didn't Tina Brown kind of say that's proof that that if if it was an engagement, he would have spent a lot more money? Right. That was part of her logic because he, Dodie, had given Kelly Fisher this $200,000 beautiful diamond and Muhammad was so focused on aligning himself publicly with the royal family and he was very sort of garish in his displays of money. So the theory is, you know, if, if this was going to be Diana's ring and photographed by every media outlet in the world, he would never just present her with this this approximately $11,000 okay. ring. I mean, a ring that also, I don't want to speak <laughs> ill of the dead, but it's it's a terror. It's <laughs> ghastly. That's what, that's what her ghastly. friend said, that it was, I think, vulgar and garish, and it was so not Diana's yeah, taste. Yeah, it doesn't seem... I'm now completely convinced. It was that. like kind of 
cheap, fancy of the late 90s, you know? Mm-hmm. Like right. A, maybe a character in a soap would be wearing it, like yeah. All My Children or something. <laughs> right. They're just, yeah. like, so big and clunky yeah. and, yeah. Yeah. There's an amazing report that, I guess, Dodie spent seven minutes inside that jewelry store in Paris, and later that evening, uh, an assistant manager at the Ritz went to collect the ring, and there's an amazing report that the assistant manager saw the jeweler's wife in the store, saw a ring that she was wearing— requested that ring. The ring was like polished off, given to to this assistant manager, and he took it back to Dodie. So there one theory is that Dodie didn't even know what the ring was. Oh. But I love like the idea that this assistant manager went rogue <laughs> and, and asked like that one's better. Right, right. Exactly. There's so much controversy around the ring I did not expect. Yeah, I mean I, I was saying to Hillary and Chris that like uh, for me, because I was like a teenager when this happened and I didn't like I didn't really know any of this kind of or whatever this show is presenting as the details, you know, and um it it is interesting to like actually get like sort of some timeline clarity and then maybe some speculation about was it or you know what it meant or you know was it really an engagement it seems like in this show's version of things it was but we don't we'll never know and it was confusing in real life because the jeweler initially said this was not an engagement ring and then suddenly after that initial interview he was saying it was an engagement ring and of course you know if it was that would be great pr cynical as that mm-hmm. is to say mm-hmm. for the jeweler um so Okay, I have a, a question that might be unknowable because we simply can't ask Diana, but was the love of her life Hazmat Khan, the surgeon? That's what I believe. That's what's been widely reported. He was the only paramour of hers that sort of stayed loyal to her. Uh, in the end, he'd never spoke out about her, gave any sort of interviews. He reportedly couldn't stand the spotlight of mm-hmm. being with Diana, which during these episodes especially, we understand why and we understand the the hazards and just the annoyance of being followed by photographers all the time. But I like to believe that. I like to believe that she had a true love. One true love. That would be nice. Because they were not together for a very long time. It was a short amount of time. Right. And he, re- and he ultimately kind of distanced himself from her. It was the commoner saying, mm, sorry, I can't do this. I can't do this. And my understanding is that in the, she was still very much heartbroken over him when she met Dodie. And so, like, that adds even more sort of evidence to suggest that, like, she was not, like you said, like, she did not want to get married anytime soon. She was still heartbroken over someone else. Right. And it's not as if Dodie invited her on this trip and she, she went because she had feelings for him. Part of the appeal was that Muhammad Fayed had this incredible, huge security detail. Mm. At that point, Diana only had police security at public events. She didn't have security at all times. So that was one of the draws for her of of that relationship. Which is not something that the show gets into, maybe because it doesn't reflect so well on the royal family. Yeah, and it reflects well on Mohammed. Like, the, it's funny to think about which, like, members of the royal family did have security who really did not need it. Yeah. <laughs> well, right. Whereas Diana is the one who needs it the most. More than anyone. Wow. That's wild. I didn't know that that dynamic. That's interesting. That is really interesting. Where do you think, we we, we speculated ourselves a little bit, but I'm curious, Julie, um, as someone who has written a lot about the contemporary royals, um, we are, after this next episode, which is going to deal with the aftermath of Diana's death, then there's going to be a time jump. Um what are you hoping to see covered um, as The Crown reaches its series finale? 
I'm so curious how they're going to approach the Kate Middleton of mm-hmm. it all. Mm-hmm. And I'm waiting for that recreation of her on the runway and that sort of see-through dress. I just That's exactly that. what Hillary oh, said. It's exactly <laughs> to also, a T. That was the best moment in the Lifetime movie, William and Kate. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Which so, I know everyone here has seen. Well, I mean, in the editing room, yeah. yeah. <laughs> after I directed it. <laughs> and I'm just so curious what Peter Morgan covers because he wasn't going to do this season and he had it mapped out that it ended after season five. So I'm I'm curious to see where he goes. Mm. Do you have opinions about the the three queens that we've seen? Do you have a favorite of them? Uh, Claire Foy. I don't know why she just there was some sort of life to that character and charm and charisma, but also maybe it was just because it was a younger queen and who had she, more to do, yeah. right? And she was sort of softer and she was figuring something out. She was navigating this new situation. It seems like more of an obstacle, and she was more, a more central character. I think that was my favorite. She was my favorite. What did you guys think? I'm an Olivia Coleman stan. Also. Yeah, though I, have, I didn't really watch Claire, so no shade to her. They're all really good. I just yeah, I think the problem is, and I think we talked about this last week, like. The process of this show is Elizabeth basically turning into a statue, like, yeah. over the course of decades, <laughs> like, you know, like, and so she she has to kind of recede in personality, and she's barely on this season, I almost yeah. feel like. I know next episode will be yeah. big for her. I'm, I'm hoping that Imelda Staunton gets kind of a standout moment yeah. that, you know, there's at least a showcase episode before the series ends. Yeah. There's got to be, and there's got to be a Princess Margaret episode. Yeah. yeah. Right, I would think really so. she's really fallen off. Yeah. Diana kind of fills the Margaret uh, hole as, you know, the fun, like, filter-free, you know, controversial royal. Right. It would be amazing to see if they recreated those incredible Princess Margaret moustique parties and (laughs) she hobnobbed with all these celebrities. But I don't know if that's going to happen because— when I spoke to Leslie Manville last year, she said it was it was a sad storyline for Margaret because her health was in such decline and she had been used to being this beautiful, glamorous princess and all of a sudden she was you know, bound I guess the to end of her life is not super yeah. glamorous or fun. I know, and that's just what it seems. I, a little bit gloomy about the season is everyone is aging so much, but I guess that is life. That is life. <laughs> I suppose it is. Uh, well, we'll have to have you back, Julie, to discuss uh, more royal things uh, as we continue on with the crown but for the time being thanks for being with us thanks for having me thanks for dropping by yeah still watching we'll return in a moment with our latest dose of 90s nostalgia heading for our time capsule I'm David Remnick host of the New Yorker Radio Hour there's nothing like finding a story you can really sink into that lets you Tune out the noise and focus on what matters. In print or here on the podcast, The New Yorker brings you thoughtfulness and depth and even humor that you can't find anywhere else. So please join me every week for The New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts. So, uh, Chris, you are the youngest member of our panel, um, as we've mentioned, uh, with no bitterness at all in our voices. (laughs) Uh, what jumped out at you, uh, 90s-wise, in this episode? Okay, 90s-wise. You would think that I would say the Julio Iglesias Dolly Parton song, because that was very 90s, and I, I did love that. But actually, the most 90s thing was when William and Harry were on the phone with Diana, and William was like, how's the poser? Talking about <laughs> Dodi Fayette. Oh, yeah. Poser, that idea is such a 90s idea to me. Like, someone who's, like, trying to be posturing, someone mm-hmm. who's trying to be something they're not, as if there's 
like a way to be fake in that way. Like you don't hear that word anymore. Well, yeah, the nineties were very concerned with authenticity. Yes, and, and now selling out. Like <laughs> and now, now we've conceded that there's no such thing, <laughs> and that we don't care anymore. They you did some study where, like, t- like a few years ago at this point, but like. A lot of teenagers just li- these days literally have no sense of what selling out means. Yeah, they don't when know. we were obsessed. Well, I'm with gonna that tell life. them about a little yeah. musical called Rent. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. It came out in 1996. It's yes. about how you don't have to pay your rent if you're an if artist, you're authentic. If you're being true earning to money is not true. Yeah. To the life of an artist. Yeah. So yeah, poser, posers, that, posers, 90s concept. It really is. <laughs> I was struck by a painful childhood memory or teenage memory. Uh, at seeing the PlayStation. Oh, yeah, the Harry's birthday present? Yeah, because I really desperately wanted one. And at that point, my my mom had been very good about getting me, like, Nintendo and Sega Genesis. Like, I had video games at home, but, like, this was, like, the new cool thing. And my mom thought the games were too violent, and also I was a little too old for it. And so I never had a PlayStation. And actually, it kind of cured me of playing video games for, like, right. 20 years. But, she like, was right. That was good for <laughs> yeah. you personally, because oh, yeah. no, playing I mean, video games is a terrible waste of time. Yeah, no, it's true. <laughs> and, and now I play them, you know, um, as an adult, and that's fine. But, um, yeah, so PlayStation, that was such a big deal. My friend Mike had one, and I would go over there, and he would sort of lord over me uh, and only play one-player games. So I would just sit and watch him play. Wow, what a good friend. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to Mike. Yeah. We were, yeah. Shout out to teenage friendships. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I want to uh, call out a fashion moment. Uh, Diana's getting ice cream outfit. She's got that uh, mm. teal windbreaker. Um, I, I think of, we were just saying she loved a windbreaker, and Ooh. she always pulled them off. Yeah, her really and Whitney did. Houston, I feel yeah. like. The yes. shoulder pads? Uh, yeah. yeah, like Whitney Houston's uh, national Bowl, anthem. Yeah, yeah. Super yeah. Bowl yeah. outfit. Very similar. Oh, both iconic. It takes a lot to make that look chic, and yet... Oh, yeah, and not like you're dressed like, I don't know, like a cleaning a grandmother, lady or something. Yeah, right, a grandmother, right. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like exactly, like shuffling to shuffleboard. Um, no, it is, it is a good look. I'm glad we got at least one last iconic Diana outfit. Yeah. Well, that does it for this episode of Still Watching. As ever, you can send us any questions or concerns or, I don't know, conspiracy theories about this horrible event in mm. history uh, that's still watching pod at gmail.com you can find me on I will begrudgingly say X and Instagram at Rylas R-I-L-A-W-S yes and you can find me and tell me more about Beanie Babies on <laughs> in X or Instagram at Christress you can find me and maybe give me a PlayStation at Hillabuster <laughs> with two R's but I want the PlayStation that's <laughs> and no it's my turn <laughs> Uh, This has been Still Watching from Vanity Fair. Our producer is Emily Elias, and we had production help from Peyton Hayes. We had technical assistance from Gabe Quiroga and Jake Loomis. Stephen Valentino is our executive producer, and our theme music is by Alexis Quadrado. Next up in your feed, episode four. We'll see you there. And if you are watching this video, either I'm dead or I'm in a very, very, very bad situation. She said, oh my God, I can hear gunshots. I can hear men outside. Where are they? What have they done to them? Are they dead? Are they not dead? There is one suspect, her father, the Sheikh. It's Madeline Barron from In the Dark. We've teamed up with our new colleague, Heidi Blake, at The New Yorker to try to answer a question about one of the richest men in the world, the ruler of Dubai. Why do the women in Sheikh Mohammed's family keep trying to run away? There's five policemen outside and two policewomen inside the house. So basically I'm a hostage. And he reminded me that Sheikh Mohammed can get me anywhere. 
because you're a rich and powerful person, you can effectively break any law you want in our country and get away with it. The Runaway Princesses is available now. Follow In the Dark wherever you get your podcasts.